Welcome to The Gateway, your compass through the uncharted waters of mystical and spirit communication, broadcast live from United Public Radio Network, 107.7 FM, New Orleans. I'm your host, C.L. Thomas. Does the soul survive death? How can we communicate with loved ones in the spirit world? Are those residing beyond the veil in some faraway land, or are they close by within our reach? My guests suggest tonight that these are age-old questions permeating our collective conscious, and this has been going on for since the dawn of man. As, afterlife and paranormal researcher and author Nicole Strickland joins me to ponder these ideas in her book, The Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and the beyond. Nicole, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. How are you tonight? Um, I'm good, and I'm so pleased to finally meet you. Likewise. I know I see your name everywhere, and I know, like you said, we were supposed to be at uh, Paracon this past October, and I, yeah, I was looking forward to meeting you, but uh, we will soon enough, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. This is this is a step closer, so... <laughs> Nicole, I've listened to another interview on you re about you recently on another podcast, and we have a lot of things in common, including oh, good. having paranormal experiences at a very young age. Yes. You have some other books that you've written that's not the paranormal. Um, so what led you down this path to researching the afterlife and the paranormal? Oh, my goodness. I, I think it's just it just happened as it was supposed to. Like many of us, when we're young, we have experiences that we can't explain that gets us interested. And so for myself, I think as far back as I think I was around four or five, when I started having experiences, and there was just something about ghosts and spirits and haunted locations and even history that really fascinated me from a very young age. And so that stuck with me. And I would read anything I could on the paranormal, watch anything I could. And then uh, up, up until this was middle and high school and then up uh, until my college years, I had a very profound experience with the spirit of my maternal grandmother. And that's actually what got me out in the field start and start investigating the paranormal and working with different people. So it's just, it's been a, a lifelong journey. I've been doing it half my life. So, and there's always something new to learn. I enjoy collaborating with others and hearing their viewpoint points and listening to their experiences. So it, I, you know, I always say in, in a, in a short one word or not one word in a short sentence, it just, it just happened as it was supposed to. So. Do you feel like you're called to the paranormal in some fashion? I think so. That yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a something I enjoy. You know, there's a passion for it and the topic's very interesting. So, but yeah, yeah, I do. What about you? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um you have a very similar story to mine in that Really? Yeah, you say that your first paranormal experience was around the age of 4. Mhm. Mm mine um it's it's the earliest memory that I have is of seeing paranormal things, seeing ghosts wow. and things. Um, do you want to talk about your experience at age four? Yeah, let's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going based on what I can remember. I'm sure there are aspects of it that maybe I've forgotten or maybe I get off a little bit, but what I can definitely remember, I was around four, four and a half. And uh, just to preface this, I was born in Huntington Beach, California, which is a little beach town uh, about an hour north of San Diego 
lived there for about a year. And then my mom, dad, and I moved out to Las Vegas, Nevada, because he got a job there. And so I started having um, experiences that I couldn't explain. But the one outside our pool or in our backyard, it was in summertime, I don't know what month, probably like July or around there. And it was dusk, and we had a backyard pool in our backyard. So we were just getting out of the pool and drying off. And I was standing there. And it was my mom, dad, and I. And then all of a sudden, I saw with my own eyes, this dark gray, not really black, it was more dark gray mass, like misty type form, morph into a humanoid shape. And it seemingly it just floated right in between us. And so I, re- I don't know how I remember this, because so much is blocked out from my childhood. But I remember asking my mom, I said, Mom, Dad, did you see the draft, like D-R-A-F-T, why I chose to use that word at the age of four, four and a half to describe what I saw? I don't know, but that's the word I used. And I, I pointed to it. I said, did you see the draft? And they were oblivious to it. But I definitely saw something and it morphed into a humanoid shape and it just floated right on past us. And also in that house around that age, I communicated with a, I think now that I look back, it was more or less maybe someone from the, maybe the gold rush days, that era, an older man, not too old, but older gentleman. Um, I remember the gray hair, the the white beard. He he wore what looked like jeans. I don't know if they were jeans, Uh, probably not. But, and then this uh, checkered type of, um, long sleeved shirt, which in a way wouldn't match the era of maybe the gold rush days, but that's who I saw. And I communicated with him and I'm sure my parents just thought, well, she's at that age, you know, imaginary friends, but it wasn't so imaginary, but that by the pool was just so weird. And my parents were oblivious to it. So I don't know. Do you think that children have the capacity to see spirits more than because they're not as developed, I guess. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think they're not as preoccupied, I guess, with with uh, adulthood like we are. And so, <laughs> yeah. my I mean, my background's in in education and teaching, so I've worked a lot with kids. But I think it, it's it's just they're more in tune with their themselves and not so preoccupied, and they don't have as much ego as you know us adults do, and all of that. So I think that that plays into why. They're just a little bit more sensitive or a lot more sensitive, I should say, than us adults. You know, what's interesting is um, I lived in the Northeast for a time. I've lived in the South for about 15 years and now I'm out West where Mm. I'm experiencing a lot of these, um, like you said, gold rush era spirits. I used to think that the South was more haunted than anywhere else because of all the negativity around slavery, Mm -hmm. civil war and that kind of thing. And it does ring true to some extent. However, when I came here and started exploring ghost towns and things like that, this is like a total different ball game. Has that been your experience? Just with different areas? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I think the history out here being that it's so layered, you know, especially with San Diego with with the Native mm-hmm. American period and the Mexican and the Rancho periods and all these different historical periods, I think that adds to it. But then I have, you know, that's a good question and a good thought to bring up. Then I wonder if it, you know, maybe are we drawn to certain locations due to past lives or maybe what we've experienced in a past life. But uh, I mean, the South, I've heard the same thing. I mean, I've been to the South. 
I've never lived there, but with, with all the history and even the Northeast, you know, it's just, it's different types, I guess, of history. And so it plays into the paranormal a little bit differently, but yeah, the, the West coast is very, very active. Mm-hmm. So. And not just, I'm starting to learn it just, in fact, um, this might sound a little crazy, but just this past weekend, I was in C- San Diego for work, and oh, yeah. I was picking up again. This is the second time this has happened on like elemental-like things. Ooh, <laughs> interesting. I want to hear more. I don't know if you've heard of anything like that on the West Coast. I have actually, especially shapeshifters, and I can't for sure say that I've actually seen one. I was driving uh, the back way to Julian from San Diego, and we went over the back way, which is off Sunrise Highway, and it was odd. I, it, 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 When you see things, the mind wants to explain it right away, but mm-hmm. then it's you know what you see, right? And it just registers in your mind that it's something very odd. So I uh, was driving with a friend and all of a sudden I saw this bird, like almost like a crow, but a little bit bigger, swoop down from the sky. And then all of a sudden what I saw was it seemingly morphed into like a, a coyote type shape. Maybe it wasn't. It probably was just my eyes, but that's as close to what I've, you know, seen in terms of elementals, but my goodness, the, the, the story regarding them is interesting. I think the whole aspect of elemental energy is, is quite interesting. So I've never had any experiences with elementals before until about two years ago, I've done an investigation um, in Cal in Southern California where the haunting was, it was an old orchard. Um, oh, wow. An orchard. And it, it's haunted by, you can see them, like you walk through the aisles and you'll see them darting like little, they're about two feet tall. So like um, gnomes or fairies around yeah. that? It was the weirdest thing. It's the first time I've ever experienced anything like that. And then just this past weekend, I've experienced it again at another Southern California location. So it makes me wonder. It does. And you don't know. I mean, I don't know what your thought is about how if they pertain to the history of the land or if it's just uh, regarding the protection of the land. There's so many different uh, thoughts on to the origins of them, but it is really fascinating. I see Betsy in chat. Hi, Betsy. Nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, she says she's, hello. She She's so lovely. I love her so much. She's she's a great gal. Yes. Um, let's see what else. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it with, with elementals? Do you think there's it's a certain origin to them or do you think it varies? I don't know. Location? Yeah. I just don't know. I always thought it was like a, um, like an Irish thing or something, you know, something overseas that that's mm-hmm. in England or somewhere else. I never really thought about it until I experienced it firsthand. And it's interesting because this, particular case I was on the woman was very very disturbed in this um Mm. in this haunting and we really wanted to help her and you know she this haunting is she was attributing that she had lost three children and she was on her third husband so packing in threes where these people were just dying in her life and she was really distraught when, when we came to her and I actually called in a Native American because she was telling me that the land that it sits on used to belong to the Native Americans. And what they did in the 40s was they leveled everything out and then created farmlands to initially um, feed America, basically. Right. And 
Um, she said as they were plowing the, the land, it was given to her grandfather um, in a charter or something to produce the land and to grow food. And when they were leveling it and building the house, they, they actually uncovered a um, burial ground. Oh, wow. And, wow. and the, name, the name of her street is actually, um, it means skull in Spanish. So it's just a really interesting case. But I did call in a Native American um, to get his insight on it. And he was telling me that, yeah, elementals could be used in Native American. They mm -hmm. would they would have used them, called them up, if, especially if they lost the land, they would have called them up to protect that land and make sure that no one else can make use of it because their people was moved off. Interesting. Um, so it's it goes to show how history and, and, and the belief systems of certain cultures really can play into it. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. I'm glad you were able to to help her and make her feel more comfortable on her property yeah. for sure. So. so I have done some mediumship in the past couple of years. Um, when you are in communication with a spirit, for me, it's like a three-way kind of conversation. You have the sitter and then you have the spirit that comes in. And then I, I act as kind of like a conduit, right? Right. But I find only so much from these spirits are told from the other, like what, what the other side is actually about. Like it's left out. What do you think about that? Oh my goodness, about so about the other side and, and specifically maybe why we don't know more know more or why they don't elaborate more on it. Yes. I don't you know, I've thought about this and one thing that comes to mind is, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe us mortals are not supposed to know everything. Maybe we're given glimpses of it and maybe we're not supposed to know until it's our turn to transition. Uh I I don't know, but I it, I think NDEs really are a gateway to really understanding what can await us on the other side, just because you have all, all these cultures of people, children, adults, elderly from all over the world that have these certain experiences during an NDE or shared death experience. And it's interesting to uh, find out that a lot of the traits and a lot of the, the things they experience are so similar in nature, but I don't, you know, that's a good question. Uh, maybe, I don't know. And maybe uh, maybe they want us to maybe try to discern or figure it out on our own. I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, I, I read a lot of literature of mm -hmm. um, physicians. You know, a lot of physicians are coming out now yes. with their studies into NDEs. Like yep. um, Dr. Moody is one of them. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. But through all their case studies... I mean, there's a lot of case studies out now from different physicians, and most of them don't actually talk about the other side. They only talk about what the patient sees if they've died in a room, you know, that kind of stuff. They never actually go into, they see a tunnel, I guess. They'll, they'll describe a tunnel, but then they don't actually describe what the other side is. Yeah, that's interesting. And I actually read um, when doing some research, there's a physician, I gosh, off the top of my head, I don't remember his name. Uh, and he thinks he might have a theory as to why people experience that tunnel effect upon death. And they, you know, see the tunnel, they see the light at the end, they see loved ones at the end or, or spiritual figures. He thinks it might have to do with the two nervous systems of the body. So that sympathetic 
uh, nerve, uh, nerve system and the parasympathetic nerve system. And they're in life, they're opposing each other, but then in, in death, they, they unite and work together. And so he thinks it may have something to do with that. But uh, when you, I've read a lot on the different uh, NDE types of stories, and there are people that have come forward and they've described what they saw during this experience. And it might be different according to someone's culture, uh, but the colors are more vivid. Uh, the places, I guess, uh, are similar to maybe their, like I said, their culture or their background. But I've read several and even talked to people who've had these and they describe loved ones coming to meet you just like a paradise. Everything is just so beautiful and vivid. Even animals that have passed on will come and greet you. And I've heard this time and time again. So it, it does bring a little peace in knowing that, okay, well, there is something positive that awaits for us when, you know, when it's our turn. Mm -hmm. Your book is about connecting life, death, and the beyond. What are some of the significant connections you have learned from writing this book? Oh my gosh, writing this book, it's it's been pretty much my whole life so far, so 44 years, and uh, just in my background in the paranormal and then uh, getting more into afterlife study and, and just myself being an experiencer as well of paranormal events, uh, I've concluded that, and again, this is I'm not stating this as fact, this is just kind of what I feel based on my own experiences and talking with people and, and research, I think that there's definitely a link between between the mortal world and and the afterlife and that there is a very strong connection there and it's getting stronger. Maybe there's some sort of shift in the cosmos that's allowing it. It could be that more people are open to it. It's not as taboo anymore, but there's this link between the two and uh, connections can be made with our loved ones and even bonds and love that we have with them can grow even stronger even when they're passed on. So that's something that I, I really feel um, regarding that. So do you have any thoughts on it? <laughs> no. You're, no. You're the, uh, the expert on this book thing. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. No. I, I, <laughs> I, no, I feel like, oh, gosh, expert. Oh, my gosh. Maybe when I'm dead, I might be. But and, and I think about this, too. Do you ever think about how when it's our turn to pass on and transition that we're going to get there and we're going to be like, oh, so that that's what it was about. Yeah, you know, oh, it was so much easier than we thought. <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting because when you pay attention to the paranormal, um, I'd say you, you're most people are a little more spiritual and are looking mm -hmm. at life a little differently, right? It's not just about going so. to work and buying toys. We're looking into deeper meanings to things. Yes. And a lot of times, um, just through connecting with spirit, it's it's been a life changing experience. I don't know. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it, they're guides. Sometimes they're just comfort. There's just oh. it goes on and on. Oh, absolutely. And I, it's you touched upon an important aspect, and I think that us as humanity, we've been challenged a lot lately. You know, the pandemic plus other things. There's a lot of a challenge going on. There's a lot of negativity out there. And I think it's, it's, we're at the crossroads of really trying to elevate as a society and as, or as a collective society, but even individually, I think that there is some sort of, uh, I don't want to say enlightenment, but there's, um, uh, 
maybe a higher vibration. People are trying to reach their higher vibration. And so sometimes you have to go through turmoil in order to get that maybe. But mm -hmm. I think people are desiring to uh, become more, become one with themselves. And I think experiencing the paranormal and, and communicating with lost loved ones can really help open the door for that. Just a yeah. thought. In your paranormal research, you have been to many different places, including the Queen Mary. Yes. Um, I think you have a book about the Queen Mary. I have three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Three. I can't stop writing about it, right? I mean, got to do three. Oh, my gosh. Do you think oh, you man. were on that? Were you on that ship, you think? Oh, my gosh. Ship? Yeah, I've been asked this so many times. You know, it's interesting. I've had about four, maybe five past life regressionists contact me. And they'll say things like, oh, you know, I've read some of your, I've read your books, or I've read some of your posts about the Queen Mary. You know, I really do think you have a past life on the ship. I think it's possible. Uh, I, there is uh, a soul connection. But what's interesting is in my research when doing the writing for the books and just even with my friends, we have a core group of friends um, that visit the ship frequently for events and things like that. We're very close and we all love the Queen Mary. There's just a passion for the ship. But it's interesting because in my research, I ta I've talked to former crew, former Commodores, captains, uh, war brides, uh, passengers that have sailed on board the Queen Mary in various times of her uh, seagoing days. And they too, many of them will say, you know, there's just something about Queen Mary. There's just something about Mary in the sense that they feel this connection to it. So I've tried to understand that and I've tried to explain it. I don't know if maybe, again, we're allowed to know everything, but I, I do feel the ship is sentient. Absolutely. And I feel it just has to do with she's one big giant magnet. She draws people since her inception. She's been bridging people from different walks of life and is continuing to do that. So there's just something very, uh, very mystical, very enigmatic about the Queen Mary. And, you know, if you can tap into that, and many people can, it's a great, it's really great. So have That's you been so, to the Queen I Mary? I have not. I have oh. not. And, you know, every time I go there, because um, I've have, I've been having to go there a lot for work, and yeah. I just never have the time. This past time was cut short because of all the rain that yeah. was going on. So I had to get out of there. But yeah, I'm really hoping to get there. And also um, the Whaley House. I had a pretty profound dream about Ooh, the Whaley House. Even so like a I visitation. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, Do you want to share it? I can. Um, so this is before I even knew that there was a Whaley House. And I had just had this dream about being on like in the back, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it was um, almost like a porch, I guess, Okay. on the back of the house. And there was some rocks, like it must have been rocky. And there was like a hillside of some sort. And I don't even know what this place looks like. But the um, there was a lady dressed in like, um, I would say like 1880s clothing. Okay. It was like not quite Victorian, but still reminiscent of Victorian. Of and course. Mm -hmm. She was pointing to the floor, like the oh. ground, like it's buried there. So I don't, it was just the weirdest dream. And so I described it to another friend who lives in um, Southern California. And he was telling me that's got to be the Whaley house. 
And so I started looking at the photos and sure enough. <laughs> sure enough. And it yeah. did have a backyard. It still does. And, uh, mm. you know, it's possible you were tapping into uh, Mrs. Whaley or maybe uh, Violet Whaley, who sadly committed suicide there on the property. So it's interesting how we have these dream visitations. Maybe there's a connection. I would look into that. Maybe there's some sort of connection, maybe down your family line, maybe somehow, some way there's like a familial type of connection. Yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to going and exploring that a little more. Yeah. It's been um, forever since I've been in oh my gosh, I haven't been to old town like a year. <laughs> it's like 10 <laughs> minutes away from me. God. Oh man. So the thing about the Queen Mary is that a lot of paranormal investigation people come back and they say, a lot of investigators will come back and say that there's a spirit trap there or this or that. Um, do you believe that spirits can be trapped in a place for one reason or another? Um, let's, let's, I'm going to preface this, not talking about spirits, those who eventually evolve. So more or less for earthbounds, I think that in some cases for earthbounds, yes, they can be, uh, either they choose to, or maybe it's, it's, Maybe they don't know they've passed, but for some reason, yes, I do believe that earthbounds or ghosts can uh, somehow stay or be, uh, I guess, tagged onto a location for whatever it, for whatever reason. But again, you know, we don't know. Sometimes it could be by choice, maybe not. Maybe they're attracted to some piece of antique. Maybe there's unfinished business. Maybe they passed away in a tragic manner. It's hard to say. I know for the Queen Mary, and again, uh, this is just spanning 20 years of me going on board. There is a mix of intelligent and residual type of energy. Uh, so, but it, for, for me, and based on all of my experiences, everything there for me has been quite positive. I've never really had anything negative or anything like that. And considering the ship's history, yes, I mean, this ship saw everything from war to complete opulence, to complete glory, war and famine, war and death, um, maybe not famine, but war and death. And people did pass away on board. But um, I think the, the theory about Jackie in particular, the little girl uh, that's uh, really popular there, she's mostly seen and heard in the former first and third class pool. Again, we don't know her origins. Peter James, the late psychic investigator, uh, coined her in the early 90s. He communicated with her and he felt that maybe she passed in the former second class um, pool, which was stripped out in the Long Beach conversion. Again, we don't know who she is. Some people feel she's a tulpa, not even real. I kind of thought that too, but I do believe she's real. But again, is she trapped on board or is there something greater about her it, it really is hard to say do you believe that a spirit um could be trapped maybe because of some emotional business that they haven't worked out i think so i think yeah. so uh I, especially too if if uh grieving family members are so uh in depth with their grief they may unknowingly call or attract that uh, that loved one who's passed on to kind of come back and act as uh, yeah, like help them through the grief, so to speak. So it's hard to know, but yeah, I do think so. And again, it could be by choice. It could be even like I said, like an antique. Something there keeps them there, 
You know, it's thought that even, uh, uh, and this is a documented crew death. This was an 18 year old, uh, young gentleman from, uh, Skipton, North Yorkshire, just out of respect for the family. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. People will know his name, but just out of respect for the family, I'm just going to use his initials JP. So he hailed, like I said, from Skipton, North Yorkshire at the age of 18, joined the Queen Mary in March of 1966. And then sadly, on July 10th, 1966, he was found wedged in watertight door number 13 on the Shaft Alley side. To our knowledge, no one saw what happened, but a crew member did find him wedged, crushed by that door. And uh, his spirit has been said to be on board. He's very talkative, very likable. He seems to want to be on board. I've had experiences with him. Uh, but is he stuck? You know, I almost feel like maybe it's more by choice with him. It's hard to know. It really is. But, it, you know, the ship did have, tr- I mean, it, gosh, it was a troop ship during World War II, carried Italian and German prisoners of war. And it's, you know, it's seen its days. It's seen the wealthy all the way to the poor. It's seen glory and opulence and just wonderful times all the way to World War II. So, uh, and I think that historically is a huge layer as to why it's uh, so paranormally active. Right. Can one sort of prepare themselves in this life before death to avoid being trapped, you think? I do. I think so. That's a good point to make. You know, get get rid of your unresolved issues, work through them, uh, any amends you need, need to make with people, whatever it is. I do. I think that... Uh, people can work toward that. And I think having a knowledge and an acceptance of death is important to not be afraid of the unknown, to not be afraid of death. We will all physically die. But if you remember that our soul, our vibrance, our energy, what makes us us, that lives on, that disperses Mm -hmm. out into the universe. And I think that is a very comforting comforting uh aspect to remember and even just writing the book the afterlife chronicles and hearing the stories from people uh there was a there's a sense of comfort there and i know even through me i don't know how you feel in your work in the paranormal but for me for through my work in the paranormal i'm not so afraid of death anymore and it's comforting yeah i think that's that's um a little bit of the point i think Mm -hmm. you know yeah, with us researching, and I know just for working in spirit, the idea is to I do a lot of evidential mediumship. Fantastic. Yeah, is to present um, a person's past loved one to give them hope. Yes, you know that they're still around. They're still there. You know, they're not. They haven't disappeared. They're just in a different form. And I think mm-hmm. that that's kind of the point of the paranormal. I know that Thank investigators you. like to go out and try to prove that you know there's life after death but how many times do we got to prove it you know well I guess that's, that's just it. That. <laughs> yeah is it if you're out to prove it, it it's it's similar to uh caring about the end result more than the journey so if you're yeah. if you're out to prove it it almost takes away the learning and the experiences of what you're meant to have and the knowledge that you're meant to gain through your experiences and, and studying it. So that's, right. yeah, thank you for saying that. That's a really good point. And, you know, talking with people and hearing, you can always tell when someone's a believer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, for example, with my cat, Kaylee, when she passed, it was my mom and I and, and one of the veterinarians who knew her and loved her. 
he started crying and he said the second she passed, he said, wow, I can feel her. And I thought, okay, yes, he's a believer. I think for people that do believe that, you know, the soul does go on and that our loved ones, yes, physically may be gone, but their essence, their soul, their vibrance, that's, that's always with us. And I think if you can hold on to that aspect, gosh, it's it right there. I mean, you're going to still grieve and go through those stages, but you will, you'll be that much more prepared for it. Right. I, you know, and I'm not saying that it's bad to be a, a paranormal investigator to try mm-hmm. to figure out if some things exist or not, you know, because we do need that too, especially for a yeah. family who's fearful of something. And then they find out that it's just a cat batting the toilet paper roll at night or something, you know? (laughs) Right. I know. Right. Peace of mind. Right. Right. But at some point though, too, um, I kind of attribute it to you're trying to prove to somebody that God exists. You know, that's not, that's not what my job is. My job is just to present what I come in contact with basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what you tell clients. That's what we've told our our clients. You know, we're going to present the information that we can come up with, whether it's historical information or genealogical, archaeological, and any events or experiences that we have or any type of evidence, we will present that to you. But uh, if you're if you're wanting me to say that this place is absolutely haunted or whatnot, or if you want me to say, yes, this proves that you have spiritual activity, I'm not going to I'm not going to phrase it like that. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the idea of a tulpa, and I wanted to talk about that for a minute because that word that word is thrown around a lot in the world right now. I know. But it is interesting because um, you know, I've I've spent a night in a Bell Witch Cave. I've held Robert the Doll and and spent some time with Robert the Doll. Oh wow. Um, you you gotta wonder how much of these hauntings are actual for, you know, like the, the more popular places is what I'm getting at. Um, like the K for instance, how much of that is actually generated from people going in there and investigating right. over and over with their own energy. Right. It's, it's, it's really a, a, a tough to sift through. And it's, it's a point I think that us investigators should always remember, you know, it's, if you look at a, let's take, for example, Waverly Hills. I don't know why Waverly always comes to the top of my head in these examples, <laughs> but you take Waverly Hills and let's go way back to the first group of people that went in there. Would Did they have as many experiences as the people going in now? So is a lot of it power suggestion or bias? Or if you go in with a preconceived notion of what you're supposed to experience, okay, here are the energies here. You're going to experience this on the third floor and that on the fourth floor. Yeah, it could be tainted. And so we have to sift through that. And that's, you know, when tulpas come in, in a sense. Um, but it is, it is a word thrown around a lot. But I, I think it's important to, in in locations like that, that are so massively uh, investigated by so many people, you have to keep that at the back of your head. Okay, well, what is really uh, true to the location versus something that has taken on its own life form because of 800 investigators that have come through. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. For instance, the girl that you talked about in the pool, did she really exist? We don't know. 
Um, there's a similar story in at the Goldfield Hotel. Well, where... I have not been there yet. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you you yeah. need to go. I Maybe need to I'll go. There. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> we can go investigating there one night. Yeah, um, that'd be great. The story about the woman who threw the baby or who was chained to the radiator and the baby was thrown down the uh, the well or whatever I've it was. I've heard this story. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of research into that. The story cannot be true. There's just no way. First of all, women weren't allowed in there. There is no shaft. <laughs> I mean, it goes on and on and on. The guy that they're saying that did this was not even in the vicinity at the time. Yep. Um, the way the hotel is constructed, people would have heard her at some point screaming and right. yelling especially if there's a shaft there um there's just no way this story is true but yet all these investigation teams will go in and they experience a woman they they experience babies crying this sort of thing so it's just real interesting it is interesting even the queen mary has that for example with b340 you know you have to remember that you know the when the whole uh theory or the myths and fable regarding B340 that was at a time when Disney had management rights to the ship and they created this situation to you know wanting to scare passengers and whatnot or visitors and a lot of uh what is said to have occurred in that room is not true and I, I elaborate on it more in my Spirited Queen Mary book, but even uh, going along the lines of the documented crew death I mentioned earlier with 18-year-old uh, JP, online you'll hear, you'll read stories, oh, he was playing a game of chicken. BS, excuse me, BS. The <laughs> ship was uh, in, a, in a, they were doing a safety drill at the time. It was out at sea because fog enveloped the sea. And since the Titanic at accident there's the I, I don't know if you've heard of them there's the solace act which is the safety of life at sea act and that uh, mandated ships if their visibility was impeded or maybe if it, there was a threat of fire or flooding to check all lower deck watertight doors and so that is what was occurring when jp passed away and so all these stupid histrionic you know and and sensationalistic types of thoughts of what occurred or it's just absolute BS. And in a way it's horribly disrespectful to JP. Yeah. And so, you know, it takes, so with the gold field and takes you to help educate people. Right. So we have to, right. to in ways play cleanup and really say, look, I've looked into this. I've researched this. You know? I did get to oh. the bottom of that, the gold field story as well. It, it actually started in the eighties. Um, mm. Somebody bought the property and wanted to turn it into a tourist town. And so they were creating those stories to pull people in. Yeah. See, um, there's always some weird, weird origin with it. Yeah. So it's crazy. What are some of the more significant spiritual connections you have made over the years that have really changed you? Oh my goodness. A uh, familial wise, of course, my, uh, my maternal grandmother, Helen Lopinto, that was just very profound. I was a senior at uh, the University of Arizona when this occurred. And uh, she called me the day before she passed, then passed away the following day on October 25th, which was actually on my mom, her daughter's birthday of all days. So I keep telling my mom, I'm like, Mom, don't don't die on my birthday as a joke, right? In anyways, there's a deeper meaning to that. But she uh, appeared to me the following day in my apartment. Well, actually, I'm telling this wrong. It started out with me hearing 
various things like my front doorknob and bedroom doorknob would rattle by themselves. And interestingly, she would go around the the house at night, making sure all the doors were locked to uh, then it, then it progressed to me feeling a, a disembodied hand across my face. I didn't see anything, but it felt comfort comforting. And then it culminated into me actually seeing her full bodied apparition. Uh, it looked as though there was a spotlight behind her shining against her back. Very comforting. But I have thought, you know, I was very close to my grandmother. Did I project this? Was this some sort of bereavement hallucination on my part? I don't know. But I do think in some way she did connect with me. And I, I really credit her for getting me on this path. So her, uh, her experience was very profound uh, with my animals, for sure. I've had some very uh, very profound uh, dream visitations, for example, with my cat Kaylee. Uh, and I document that in, in the Afterlife Chronicles as well. And just uh, there are certain energies. I think uh, every, every entity or, or energy, whether it's an earthbound or spirit that I come across is a learning lesson. It offers more insight into the paranormal. So I can't really say I have favorite ones, but um, they're all educational, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the Queen Mary, just because it's uh, very near and dear to me, the connections I've made there have been very, uh, very profound. And even we had uh, a tenure at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe here in Vista. Vista is like about half hour north of uh, San Diego. We ran tours there and then did private investigations and just the connections there. I think when you have tenure at a site, it becomes more of a case study. So you get to know more about the history, you get to learn more about the energies. And that's always nice, as opposed to just getting, you know, six or eight hours, one night to investigate. Yeah, that's kind of what's happening with um, me in the goldfield. I'm starting Mm -hmm. to learn the different spirits there. It's kind of interesting, because it's it's like, um, I decided to undertake a writing project on it. And oh, wow. It's like recreating it. It's like bringing back an entire town, you know, back to life. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. Is so you going to write a book on it? I am. Yes. Oh, that's, oh, I can't. Let me know when it comes out. Oh my gosh. I, I can't wait. Oh, I'd love to have it on my bookshelf. That's awesome. <laughs> can't believe I haven't been there yet. What's wrong with me? Oh my gosh. So, yes, I had a um, interaction with a particular spirit in Goldfield and. Um, long story short, I seen this lady, I seen the spirit in the graveyard there. And so oh. I ran over and there was her tombstone. And I started doing some research on this, on this lady. And it just led into an entire story that's not told about her. So that's what I'm writing about. That's amazing. Do you think she came to you for that reason? Because she perhaps maybe selected you to write about her? Do you think there's a connection there or just... It there happened as it was supposed to. Yeah, there's definitely some kind of connection there. I can't quite figure it out, but yeah, it's I found out so much stuff about this woman. She's not even buried under the correct name. So oh that's, my gosh. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. It's it's just real interesting. No, that's it. Let me know when it comes out. I definitely want to read it. Because <laughs> that place, it's 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 on my bucket list. I need to make a trip up there. So in the, in the comments, uh, Nicole Ray, Psychic Seer, has a question. She says, Nicole, did you ever see the little spirit of Jackie? Yes, many times. 
Uh, I've communicated with her many, many times, uh, seeing her with my own eyes. I've seen her in various areas of the ship, but I did see her a couple of times in the former first and third class pool. Picture a little Shirley Temple around the six or seven years old. Uh, that's what I that's what I saw, uh, as well as I think I was on a deck when I saw her a third time. And then sometimes I'll see her in my mind's eye, but I've heard her audibly with my own ears. I've you know I've captured EVPs and disembodied voices of her. So she's uh, she's very active, very active. Why would a little girl hang around a ship? You think? Do they see it as the way it was, or do you think they can see it the way it is now? It is, you know, with Jackie, I've pondered this, and there are other researchers that have spent a long time on the Queen Mary as well, even longer than me, that have their opinions on this. It's hard to know. Uh, does she have origins with the ship? Uh, we don't know. Maybe Peter James was correct, and she did drown and pass away in the second class pool. I often thought at one point, did she come through on the Titanic? I mean, the Queen Mary on its maiden voyage sailed past the exact sinking spot of the Titanic, and that could have maybe been a tap-in point. Is she some sort of energy that came through? The Queen Mary has a completely different origin, and yet has chosen or was selected to, to be on the Queen Mary. I don't know. The list of questions grows. And being that she's a young child, you know, a femininity, a young child, the innocence. I don't know. I mean, this is way out in left field, but I don't know. Is it some, some way, somehow, is she, is she some sort of personification of the ship itself? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I would love to know exactly where she came from and uh, her origins. And I've, I've researched it. I know online there's, there's uh, info suggesting that her last name is Torin. I've looked into that myself. I can't find any uh, research that suggests that that is her. Uh, again, she's not a documented crew or passenger death, so uh, we just don't know. That's interesting. It if is. she was somebody's child, though, from you know a lower class, I wonder if they would even have made those kind of rosters. Well, that's just it. Back in that day, that could yeah. be that. Yeah, that did happen, and yet it wasn't recorded. Yeah. Because so. I'm almost certain the Titanic, um, you know, the 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 steerage they called them. You know, mm -hmm. I'm almost certain probably all of the names are not on the roster of who they actually lost. You know, right, right. Or if uh, there were certain stowaways, or if yes. the upper class brought, you know, maybe a, a, their maid had a child, and maybe that child wasn't recorded. It's hard to know. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, you know, she's she's such an active. Uh, spirit on board but again some people think she's not real and that she's contrived just because of all the stories you know i thought about that too i i do think jackie's real i absolutely do i think she was you know a real uh, uh human spirit i mean i even had a dream once of her and it was odd i'm not saying this was a dream visitation but one night this was a few years ago I had a dream and this woman, maybe 19, 20, 21 came to me and she kept repeating, I'm Jackie. And I was on board the ship in the dream. And I kept telling her, no, Jackie's a little six or seven year old child. You're not Jackie. And she kept repeating, you're ja or, I'm Jackie. I'm Jackie. So I don't know what to say about that. Was she an adult that passed away and has come through back as a child? I don't know. It's hard to know. That is such an interesting point too, because 
I've experienced a lot of that where somebody will come through, yeah, but they come through as a child or mm-hmm. a different age than the age that they died. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, we just don't know. So you have a whole chapter about spirit projection, projections and tulpas. And I know we discussed this already a little bit, but how can these influence the spirit realm? I know that they, um, they influence the way we perceive hauntings and things like that, but how do they actually influence the spirit realm? That's a good question. Uh, again, I don't know if we can necessarily answer that. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is uh, maybe it's, in a way, reminders from the spirit world to maybe be a little bit more discerning and a little bit more uh, meticulous in, in how we do our research and how we define and characterize or classify certain types of entities, ghosts versus spirits, you know, things like that. So maybe it's uh, maybe it's part of that. Uh, but uh, I think it all plays into so how it affects us as as investigators in a way it allows us to be a little bit more perceptive. And then, so maybe the afterlife or those that are, are in the spirit world, maybe that's what they want from us. Maybe that's what they're projecting and saying, Hey, you know what? It's good that these mortals are having these sorts of experiences because it'll, it'll help them to be a little bit more careful and, and trying to discern the truth from fiction and things like that. If I'm making sense. So, yes. What are your thoughts? What are your, yeah, that's a good question. What do you, what do you think on that? I don't really, I don't know. I I feel like, you know, if collective energy works in such a way, we could possibly open gateways to the other world. So it makes Mm -hmm. sense that, it makes sense that if you put enough energy into a location, that you would create that energy and open sort of a doorway to be able to communicate right that side. Yeah, no, that's true. I agree with that. And we see that, you know, with um, the Bell Witch Cave. Oh, yeah. Robert Dahl is another one. Um, I don't know. Waverly is, is one where... I mean, you can't even go 10 feet within that place without experiencing something. Oh, I know. I have yet to see that. I mean, that's in the Keys, right? The Florida Keys. I've been to Florida, but I have not uh, been there yet. Lots of history. My goodness. So Robert Dahl is housed in this old military uh, building. Mm. It's, it's a fort. It's a really old fort. And it was used in the Civil War. But no battle actually happened there. Um, It's actually really tragic. They sent a lot of young boys there because they knew that chances were they wouldn't be in battle. Right. But um, they ended up all dying of, um, I think it was malaria. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. when, When I was in that building, that's what I was picking up on was the sickness, the soldiers, nothing from Robert Dahl. So I'm wondering uh, the energy of the dollar, the energy that people have claimed to have experienced, if that's just collective energy from the sicknesses and whatnot. Right. Yeah. It's it's possible, but it's just really interesting how that all works out. Yeah, I know. That's why (laughs) history is so, that's why history is so important. 
you can't investigate properly without knowing about it. Yeah, it's true. You know? I mean, if you don't like history, you might as well not be a paranormal investigator. I'm just saying. You know, it's, <laughs> it, I don't mean that. I mean, you know, some people may not be fond of it, but it, it's it's very important. Very Do important. you believe that animals possess a spirit and can transition the same way that humans do? I do. I think animals have souls. And I, and I, in a way, I think, I believe that animals, obviously, like kids, are even stronger and can be stronger intuitively than us humans. Just they lack that ego. It's, it's more unconditional love. But I think they're so perceptive that they might even experience the afterlife or, or it, it's all around them, so to speak. So when, when they go to transition, it's a lot easier for them just because maybe they've seen or felt it around them even when they're living. I don't know. But yeah, I do think that animals have souls and can transition just like we can. Nicole, we are at the bottom of the hour already. Gosh, this went by fast. Good I God. Know. I could talk to you all night about this. I know. I want to answer one question, though, because I saw, um, hi, Nicole, did you go to North High School? No, I didn't. I, I went to uh, University of San Diego High School, which is now Cathedral Catholic. Yes, I was baptized Catholic. I don't practice it anymore. but So that's where I went in San Diego. So where can people find your book and do you have any upcoming projects? Yeah, so I have um, several books. You can uh, go on my website, uh, NicoleDStrickland.com. You can use author Nicole Strickland as well.com, but I added a domain. So NicoleDStrickland.com, that has pretty much everything. And then um, I'm on Facebook, uh, different pages, but uh, the handle at NicoleDStrickland is my main one. And then Instagram, author Nicole Strickland. I don't use Twitter that much, but I am on it. Uh, so the acronym is at SDPRS Nicole. And then upcoming projects. Uh, I have a new anthology coming out. Uh, Marie D. Jones and Denise Agnew and I uh, are authoring it. It's Women on the Fringe, Groundbreaking Women in the Paranormal. So that'll be coming out March, the week of March 24th. And then just uh, different speaking opportunities. I have some different uh, presentations coming up and, and interviews like this and trying to decide what next book I want to write because there's there's a lot in my queue and I just haven't picked which one I want to start so and my and Queen Mary books are sold aboard the ship too for those that go on board so yeah fun Nicole thank you so much for being on the show thank you so much for having me it was finally really great to meet you so hopefully we'll do it in person one day You've been listening to The Gateway, your portal to the unexplained and mystical and otherworldly broadcasted live from United Public Radio Network 107.7 FM, New Orleans. Find me online or on social media to find out the latest in books and artwork created by me at cltomas.org. Until next time. <laughs>